Blessing, blessing, blessing. Um, it's great to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're also going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. Obviously, Friday night is the marriage conference. It's basically a date night for you guys. And so if you're married or you, maybe you're engaged, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to invest into your relationship. I think everybody needs it, uh, including myself. And uh, if you think that your relationship is on fire and you don't need any help, then would you help take care of the kids for the rest of us, please? <laughs> so we need you uh, to step in. Maybe you're a college student, you can offer that. Uh, we are paying for that. We'd love to have some help so that all of our parents can uh, enjoy a stress-free night while their kids are engaged. Um, for all the married couples in the room today, I want you to think back for a moment. Uh, think back to when your marriage was on fire. Can you think back? Maybe it's been a while, but there was a time when your marriage was on fire. You had fun together. You couldn't wait to be together. You laughed together. You talked all the time. There were sparks flying. There was a, a season and a time where you had great hopes and great expectations about your life, your kids, your future, you were on fire. Um, we would have those phone conversations back in the day where you actually talked on the phone like you don't anymore, you text, but back in the day, right, you had phone conversations and you said, you can even get off the phone. You would say, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. Did anybody do that? Were we the only weird couple that did that? Um, ah, I think back and I think, what was I doing? But that was a season where we felt like we were on fire, but you know, you get married and then something happens. Um, it's a slow fade. It doesn't just happen overnight. Uh, sometime after the honeymoon, things begin to happen and things in life just kind of has a way of entering your life. And one day you wake up and you realize, man, the fire is gone. And maybe COVID or just the crazy year that 2020 brought really kind of amplified some of the problems in your marriage. And, and so we sit back and we say, well, what happened? Um, if you're newly married and you still feel like things are going great, like tell, what, what happens, Trent? Like, how, how does that happen? Can we prevent that? And you know, one of the things that happens is just simply manhood happens. And so men have this mentality that, you know, if I am going to be a true man, I'm gonna have a woman. And so we go out and we search for the woman. And then the day that we get married, we feel like in some sense, we don't think about this consciously. It's just kind of internally. We kind of check the um, married box and we can turn the page to the next quest for manhood, which is success at work. And so we're like, ah, check, got the woman. Now I need to go to work. I want respect. I want success. I want to buy nice things. And, and then we buy nice things and we have respect and we're somewhat successful at work. And then we need to turn the page to children. I need a child and uh, you have kids and then all of a sudden you can't sleep at night and you know, there's, there's craziness, they grow up, they have attitudes, they start driving, there's stuff every single weekend, you're stressed out, right? And then you throw on top of that all the other issues that we have to face in marriage, you know? There might be money problems, there might be in-law problems, uh, there, there might be sexual difficulties that have arisen. You start to identify some of the spiritual immaturity in your relationship and, and that gets exposed. And then all of a sudden you just kind of realize that the fire is gone. And so uh, what do we do? How do we get that back? Man, that is a great question. So I'm here to take suggestions. Anybody want to give one? No, I'm just kidding. I wrote a few things down. 
but starting with the idea that what we thought was on fire was really defined inappropriately. In other words, to say it more simply, your definition of fire was most likely wrong. For men, fire is usual, uh, usually, you know, involves, uh, you know, not a lot of talking, less clothes, right? That means your marriage is on fire. Uh, for ladies, it might be, you know, watching HGTV all week, cuddling by the fire, reading books, walking in the park. I don't know. We all have kind of a different idea of what that fire looks like. But the reality is most of us, what we thought was fire was only a few sparks. It's only a few sparks. And the early emotions that we had for each other, you know, there were some moments where, man, we felt like things were, were, were going somewhere. We had some emotions, but essentially they were just sparks. And, 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 and we have to think through it in terms of what, what does it really mean to be on fire as a marriage? Think about it like this. If you watch Survivor, any Survivor fans out there? All right, like five of you, great. Um, hopefully the rest of you get it. Uh, but they do this one challenge, like when they get down to four people, they take three people to the very end. When they get down to four, um, they, they choose two people to go uh, what they call a fire challenge. And so if the, if, if the table is here, like they have to build a fire and then there's a rope somewhere in this area and you have to build a fire up strong enough to burn through the rope when it burns through, the flag goes up and that person wins and goes on and the other person goes home. And so it's very intense and it's exciting. But uh, what ultimately uh, you, you begin to see is the person that doesn't know how to create a fire and build that fire always loses. Uh, essentially, you'll see one of them usually, right? They, they have this, uh, it's a fire stick. They, it's this magnesium. They have a knife. They scratch off some chips of magnesium. Then they flip it over to the flint and they get a spark. The spark hits the magnesium and a little flame starts. Right, that's how it gets going. And then you have to use the tinder bundle, the, the, like the, the straw, the hay kind of material that really kind of gets that flame going and they give you sticks and kindling and then bigger, bigger uh, pieces of firewood and that kind of thing to build it. But essentially the one that loses always goes for like that spark into that tinder bundle, which when it starts, it like is this beautiful large flame. And then if you don't know anything about what's about to happen, you're like, oh man, this guy's gonna win. Look at this flame, it's big. And he's throwing all this, you know, straw on top of it. And it's like this big flame, but ultimately it's just burning the straw. It's a big flash in the pan, but then it just dies down quickly. And it's not strong enough, it's not hot enough, and it's not high enough to burn the rope. And so the person that usually wins is the one that knows how to stack the firewood correctly, how to slowly and patiently build that flame up until it's a roaring fire, which takes time, which then eventually burns the rope and they win. You see, the early stages of your relationship is kind of like making that fire. So often we see a few sparks and we're like, woohoo, man, this is the one. This is fantastic. You throw some straw on there in the honeymoon, it's like, woo, man, this is great. You get married, you know, work, money, in-laws, bills, and all of a sudden, what you thought was this great fire that you had built was really just a flash in the pan. And so you kind of step back and you go, okay, well, what's left? What do we do now? We didn't realize we were gonna have to learn how to build this fire. 
We didn't realize we were gonna have to maintain this fire. We didn't realize it was gonna be so much work. In that moment, we thought, boom, it was great, but it has died down. And, and the great news is that if the fire has gone out, the great news is you can learn how to build it back. The great news is that no matter what you've gone through, if you're willing to walk through the fire together, you're willing to walk through the issues and the problems that you're experiencing today, then you can walk through that without getting burnt and actually grow in your relationship. So the main thought for today to kind of get us going is that if you want a hot marriage, you've got to walk through the fire. If you want it to be on, if you want it to be hot, if you want it to be great, if you want it to honor the Lord, if you want it to last, if you want it to be fun, if you want it to be engaging, you've got to be willing to walk through this fire. And there are going to be multiple fires, multiple issues and multiple problems that come. But the great news, the encouraging news for every single one of us is that if we choose to love each other through those issues, you are, you are in fact gonna experience a blessing on the other side. And, and, the, and the great news again is that every single one of us are gonna experience problems in marriage. Every single one of us. I experience it, everybody I know experiences them. So you're not abnormal if you have issues, right? So we're all in the same playing field here today. And the problem though is in your marriage, we can look at these issues and they can cause us to separate and isolate and get angry at each other. But I think the opportunity that God gives to you, he gives to me through these issues is that they can become a catalyst to help you find love, to help you experience love with each other. And if you are willing to walk through the fire together, you're gonna love each other on a deeper, more connected, spiritually, physically, emotionally, like never before. So that's the exciting news. Every single one of us, no matter what you've experienced, God can do that in your heart. Amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We have some doubters in the room. I'm going to have to come strong today. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter's writing to Christians who have been persecuted by their faith. They're going through a very heavy season of trial and suffering. And he says, in this you rejoice. Now, in this, in, in what? If you go up a few verses, he's talking about the mercy of God. And the mercy of God is that in Jesus, he has given us a new birth. He's given us a new hope. And because we have been born again, because we have this hope in Jesus, God has blessed us with his mercy in and through Jesus. Now we can rejoice no matter what we're going through. And then he says, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's break this down. The first thing I think we learn is that trials do grieve us. He says very clearly, though you have been grieved by various trials, I mean, we know this, we go through a problem, we go through a, a, a season of trial and it grieves us. Now, if you're in a relationship today that's going through some difficulties, you're gonna be upset. It's gonna impact you as an employee. It's gonna impact you as a leader. It's gonna impact you as a follower of Christ. Like in every single way, these difficulties in our relationships weigh on us and affect us. So what are you going to do with this trial? Are you gonna just fold up and give up? 
Are you gonna just give in? Or are you just gonna become bitter? Of course not. You're gonna press forward. Why? Because we have a hope in a God that sent his son to die for us, that gave us a brand new birth, sent his Holy Spirit to live within us. And now we press forward in that hope, right? He says, trials are gonna grieve you. He also says here that trials are gonna bring out the genuineness of our faith. So these trials are gonna bring out the genuineness of your faith. In other words, how you respond to the problem reveals the level of faith that you have in Christ. So if you're going through something today, a serious kind of issue, and you don't find yourself in prayer, you don't find yourself running to the Lord, you don't find yourself trying to uh, find answers through his word, chances are the trial that you're going through is revealing a, a lack of genuineness in your faith. And you should pray and ask God to give you the grace to understand that, that, that the problem is, is leading you away from God. And the reason why he's given you that is so that you would run to him. Now in biblical times, uh, refiners would use fire to purify gold. So the heat, the pressure of the heat would uh, bring all the impurities of the gold to the surface and they could scoop that out so that they could get to the genuine uh, pure gold. And at that time, many of the believers that Peter's writing to are facing persecution from the Roman church. And of course, Peter himself knew what it was like to uh, face persecution, but he's explaining that this persecution brings out the genuineness of our faith. So that whatever we are going through in marriage, um, this is true for us uh, in every area though. It, it could be marriage, it could be any kind of issue or problem that we're experiencing, that God is gonna use this, desires to use this to refine you, to strengthen you. We, we, we sang a song, your love is in the fire. Why do we sing that? That's one of those songs that is, is sometimes hard for us to sing. But when you think through the words that this, his love is in this fire, his love is in this moment where he's trying to purify me. There's no other way that I'm gonna get the impurities out of my life and out of the, out of the flow of sin that has crept into my heart unless God puts me over the fire of his test, the fire of this trial. And then that draws me closer to him reveals my genuineness and my faith, which means I'll be encouraged. As I draw closer, I'll be, I'll be encouraged by, man, my faith is genuine. I won't doubt my salvation. I won't doubt, you know, if God is real or I won't, I won't fall sway to some of the public opinions of the world. Like I, get, I grow deeper because I've been tested and I've, I've, been, I've been found faithful in that season. So whatever you're going through, doesn't matter what it is, one of the biggest challenges for us is, is to have the right perspective of that trial. And, and to get to the place to where God is, is using something to refine you and grow you, takes some prayer and takes some thought. But I know this, it's not the size of your problem that can defeat you. It's actually your perspective. The way that you're viewing this challenge can defeat you, not the problem. And so for most of us in the room, like one of the first things we have to do is change our perspective about what we're going through. So John Maxwell once said that the right perspective sees problems as temporary, but the wrong perspective sees problems as permanent. Maybe you've been there. We're never gonna get over this. We're always gonna be facing this. He's never gonna change. I'm never gonna change. This marriage is never gonna change. This is a permanent problem. And I think the scripture would say, no, 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 this is temporary. 
God is taking you through this season, right? The right perspective, he says, knows problems will make us better. The wrong perspective will allow problems to make us bitter. So what have you allowed to happen in your life? The issues in your marriage, is it making you bitter? Or are you allowing the issue to make you better as a person? It's a great question. He goes on to say that the right perspective knows problems challenge us and the wrong perspective allows problems to control us. And maybe that's where some of you are at today. Your problems, your issues are controlling you. They're controlling the way that you think. You're thinking about this person that hurt you too much and you've given him or her control over your attitude. You've given him or her control over what way you go to work and, 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 and where you walk and where you go because you don't wanna run into him. You don't wanna run into her. So you avoid and avoid and avoid. You're allowing this person to control you instead of allowing God to grow you. And the problem in our marriage uh, is that so much of what we go through comes down to what perspective we're gonna hang on to. You'll have to be willing to walk through the fire if you wanna have a marriage that's on fire. In verse seven here in 1 Peter, he says, if you cling to Jesus, this trial that you're going through is gonna result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus. And that's where we wanna be. We wanna allow whatever we're going through to drive us to worship, to praise him. And we can say, God, your love is in this fire. I know you are growing me. I know you are challenging me. And on the other side of this purification, you're gonna experience the gold of your faith. In our pain, we might say, God, just take this away. Seriously, like, I don't want this. I prayed for a good marriage, but I didn't expect this to happen. And God is saying, I'm trying to get you there. I'm trying to answer that prayer, but you've gotta be willing to walk through that fire together. I think the best part of marriage happens on the other side of that. From experience, we've been married 21 years. The darkest times of our marriage and of our life at one point in our marriage drove us apart. And so there were a lot more arguments and a lot, lot more of a tug of war. Who's gonna be in control and, and who's gonna one up the other person? And then when you go through seasons of trial together and you commit that, you know what? We're on the same team here. We're in this for the long haul. Forever means forever. So divorce is off the table. And you make this commitment that we're gonna work through whatever issues these are prayerfully. And we're gonna talk about these issues. And then you go through that fire. And it's like, man, we almost got burnt a few times, but we walked through it. And on the other side, it's even greater than we ever expected. It's greater than we first started dating. We thought it was on fire. It's well on fire, way more on fire after going through some of these difficult, challenging things than ever before. And that's when we begin to start understanding and start giving the love that we've been talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. This is when we start to really truly get to this point. And so let's close out our series here by looking at 1 Corinthians 13 again in this last couple of verses here. He says, Paul says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. See, this is, this is what we need right here. Forever means forever. Love never ends, right? And so what he's talking about here 
is, is, is that this love bears all things in our relationships, right? And so that does not mean that you accommodate unjust treatment. It doesn't mean that you put up with abuse in any way. No, you get help in that situation. However, the point he's saying is that this kind of love does not give up easily. This kind of love doesn't allow bitterness to creep in when mistakes are made because love knows that you're gonna have to bear all things. You're gonna have to offer forgiveness. You're gonna have to walk through this fire together and see these issues as opportunities for growth that will lead to a greater family and a greater marriage. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man, that's a beautiful verse. Why is it so stinking hard to say, I'm sorry? Why is it so hard for us to say, I forgive you? Like, I know I can say it. I know Jesus calls me to do it. But in the moment, my flesh and my sin holds on to this. I was right. She was wrong. I want everybody to know. I want my kids to know. Let the record show. Why is that? It's so dumb. The enemy creeps into our pride and it drives a wedge between our relationship. And he's telling us that love bears all things. That means we're gonna have to make a practice of forgiving each other every day, most likely. I, I, at least, at least every week, if not every day, I don't know. But it's something that we have to be called to. He says, love believes all things. Now, let's think about this. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you believe everything your spouse says. Like, you have to believe everything that they say. No, it's not this naive mistrusting. No, it's about trusting and believing the one who calls you to love your spouse. So when I believe and trust in the one who calls me to love my spouse, now I can say, I believe all things, Jesus. I believe what you're saying. You're calling me to love. And so I believe that this is what you're calling me to do. He says, love always hopes. Now, again, this isn't a naive optimism. He's cheated on me five times, but I really have hope that this one's gonna be better. No, run, Forrest, run, right? <laughs> that dude is not getting any better. If you were in my office, that's what I would say. Um, uh, and, and so I, I think when he says that love hopes and, and, and always hopes, what he is saying is that we maintain the hope in the God who empowers us to love. So my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in my forgiveness and my future eternal home in heaven. My hope only rests and only rests in, in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And so when my hope is in him, then I am able to transfer and take the risk of loving my spouse. And yes, it is risky. He says, love endures all things. Now that word endure comes from a Greek military word. And so it was used to describe how an army sustains the assaults of the enemy. So this army sustains the assaults of their enemy. They endure those assaults. Now listen, the enemy, Satan, is trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy marriages all over our country. When the marriage isn't strong, a country isn't strong. 
When men aren't leading, the country isn't strong. When men in the room aren't leading spiritually in their family, then uh, the, the family suffers. And so the enemy's trying to destroy, he's trying to deceive, he's trying to tempt you through Facebook and Instagram, and he's trying to tempt you from what you watch on TV in every way. He's trying to mess up your relationship. Many's trying to get your eyes off your wife and onto other women. Ladies, he's trying to get your attention on other men who the grass is greener, would be better for you instead of the husband that he's given to you. So the enemy's trying to destroy your relationship. He knows if he can do that, then it's gonna impact your kids. It's gonna impact your grandkids. And so for us, we have to endure. Love endures. And so it never quits. It doesn't give up. It perseveres, endures through the challenges Uh, One of the things that Mike and I did a long time ago is we came up with a motto that kind of just, uh, we always came back to. If you've never done that, I encourage you to find a statement or a phrase that really kind of brings unity uh, on whatever it is that, that maybe your journey has led you to. But for us, it was, we're on the same team. For us, that was just the thing that would always bring us back together. We're on the same team. Why are we fighting about this? At the end of the day, who cares? At the end of the day, why, why is this an issue? Like we're on the same team. Now, when you have kids, you, you better get on the same team. <laughs> they will divide and conquer you. <laughs> so we're on the same team. Like when, when one kid goes to the other, pits the other one against the other, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're on the same team, right? And, and, and that mentality helps us endure the attacks from the enemy. And God allows these problems then to come into our life so that we can discover love and so that we can discover a new joy with each other. And so if you want a hot marriage, you've got to walk through the fire. You've got to be willing to walk through it together. That means that you've got to work on yourself. It means that you've got to learn how to be emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy. You've got to, you've got to learn to build that fire. We weren't really taught that. But the great news is you can teach yourself. You can learn. Others can help you. I think loving someone is a choice. We have learned that in this series and that's great news. And because of that reality, you and I, every single one of us can grow in that knowledge and learn how to treat our spouse with love. But remember this, if you cannot control your emotions, you cannot stay in connection. If you you cannot control your emotions, in other words, you allow your emotions to drive you, something upsets you and boom, you're off and running with, you know, a reaction. If you cannot control your emotions, then you will not stay in connection with your spouse. It is so important that we learn self-control, that we learn how to monitor our attitude and our thoughts and, and our words to each other and our tempers and our blood pressure, because if we don't, we'll lose connection often and early. In his book, Self, The Self-Centered Marriage by Hal Runkle, he talks about the five ways that we scream at each other. Now, I think these are super helpful. He's not a, I don't know his faith or whatever. It's not necessarily a Christian book, but these five screams were helpful for me. So the first one I wanna go through is that we are sometimes literally aggressively yell in a conflict. So that would be the first way that we scream at each other. We're literally screaming. This is when we're berating the other person, when we're arguing and our voice is really high and really loud and faces are red and we're intense. Like that is unhealthy, amen? Like that's not a good place to be. 
That, that, that's not a godly place to be. That's not where God wants you. That's not where love grows. That's where love gets killed. And so you've got to make a commitment early and continually make this commitment often with your spouse. And if you're dating someone, this has got to be a commitment before you even kind of make that uh, commitment. Like when we have issues, when we have emotions, when we have problems, like we're not going to yell at each other. That's like what my two-year-old does. And we're not two, like we're grown adults. So the first way that we scream is we literally scream. Now I know, I know couples and there's usually at least one yeller in the, in, the, in the couple. And the person who's not the yeller sits on a high horse and says, well, I'm not losing my control. You're the one that lost it. You're the one yelling, not me, I'm holy. <laughs> right? But according to Hal in his book, he's talking about there are five ways to scream. So there's literally yelling, but then there are four other ways that we scream at each other. So nobody's off the hook, all right? Number two, he says we distance ourselves from the other one. So when issues happen, when, when, when something, you know, your, your emotions go up, you're triggered, right? Your reaction isn't to scream, it's just to distance yourself. It's the old cold shoulder, right? Uh, the old country song, it's too hot to fish, it's too hot to, to golf, but it's too cold at home. <laughs> That's when you know somebody has decided to, to, to distance from the other. Now, this can go on for days. You've done this. I guarantee some of you have done this. You've not spoken to each other for days. You haven't looked at each other. You've slept in different rooms. You've pretended like the other person didn't exist and you, you, you said that you loved them. <laughs> We treat each other like this sometimes. This is a, a terrible way to treat our spouse. This is one of those screams. We distance ourselves. Thirdly, we cut ourselves off from each other. So this is the point to where we say, you know what? I physically don't wanna be around you, period. So move out. This is where divorce comes into the conversation because we want to get this person out of our life. And the hope is if I can get this person out of my life, then I will be happy. But, but that's just not what we've seen. The data doesn't, doesn't show us that. Stats don't show us that. Your experience shows, shows you different, especially if you have kids with this person. I mean, even if, if divorce happens, like you're never going to get that person out of your life. They're going to be intertwined with you forever. And so what do you do if that doesn't work? Well, obviously there are many things that we can do, but the one thing we have to do is carefully deal with our pain. We can't just ignore it. You can't just try to avoid somebody for the rest of our life. No, you have to deal with the issues that you're feeling in your heart. You've got to understand that it hurt. You've got to understand that, that it takes prayer and it takes maybe even counseling to help you deal with those issues and then press into the fact that I'm not going to allow this person to, 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 to lead me to bitterness my whole life. I've got to forgive. I can't allow this person to irritate me for the rest of my life. This person is controlling my attitude. This person is controlling my happiness. It's not where you wanna live. There's a better way. It's a better way. Cutting off is not going to work. So you replace those negative, bitter thoughts with thoughts on growth and thoughts on purpose. And you recognize who you are in Christ. He builds that confidence in you. You walk in his love. You trust. You get your mind towards the goals and the, and the good things that he wants to do in your life today. And then one day you'll look at that person as you've forgiven them a hundred times in your mind and you might even wish them well. You don't have to avoid them. You don't have to run from them. 
You can say, you know what? I've dealt with it. It hurt. It's always going to hurt, but I've forgiven. And they're not going to control me any longer. That would be a great way for you to live because then you could actually experience happiness in the current relationship that you're in. Not until you let them go though. So we cut ourselves off from each other. That's another way we scream. The fourth way that we scream is that we fall into the over-under pattern. The old over-under. You may not know what this is, but you've experienced it. I would, I would bet you have. Here's what happens. In a marriage, someone is underperforming in an area. And then when that person starts under-functioning or underperforming, the other person starts to over-function or overperform. Right? This happens in many ways. So let's just say the, the husband isn't doing his duties with the kids. And, and, and so he's underperforming with the kids. The wife picks up those duties. Now they don't have a conversation about it. It just naturally happens. Um, for men, maybe you pick up the financial responsibility and you're taking care of all the finances and your wife doesn't do anything with it. So you're overperforming in that. She's underperforming and not really adding any value or anything into that. You know what happens when you're overperforming and underperforming? Resentment starts to build up. You start to become passive aggressive. That resentment starts to manifest itself in bitterness. And here's where it all hits the fan. It hits the fan when you have a disagreement. And as soon as you have a disagreement, you go right to all the areas that you are overperforming in. Well, I do all the housework. Well, I do all the finances. Well, you never want to have sex. Well, you never take care of the kids, right? And so the over under is a thorn in your marriage. And the way that you can begin to overcome this is you actually have a healthy conversation and say, you know what? I feel like I'm underperforming in this area. I need to pick my game up. I need to, offer. how can I do it? How can I offer that better? So you didn't, you, you, we, we kind of in the back of our mind say, well, that's just his role and this is my role. Really? Did you talk about that or did it just happen? Because I guarantee if you didn't talk about it, resentment has built, passive aggressive behavior has begun. So just go home and talk about it. Here's where I'm over functioning. I need your help. Here's where I'm underperforming. I need to do better. And by having that conversation, you can, you can uh, avoid future arguments in so many ways. But this is the way that we yell in our marriage is that we under and over um, perform. And then number five, we triangulate others into the conflict. So you're having issues with your husband and guess what? You bring in your mother. Woo. Now that is a hard place to be in if you're a dude. Like my wife is upset. Now mother-in-law's in this. Oh man. You know, another hard place for a guy to be in, you bring your mom in the situation and now your mom and, and your wife are kind of in the woo-wee. Man, that is, that's tough, right? You know, friendly fire. It's when you bring in a, a friend at work and, you know, we, we do usually do this because it feels good to bash our spouse. On some sinful level, <laughs> it just feels good because it makes us feel like we're, we're better than they are. But anytime we bring somebody in like that who is not helping, it only hurts our relationship. And so we have to be willing to eliminate that behavior in our life. Gotta remember the fruits of the spirit. Remember what they are in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've got to 
to, to keep our emotions under control. We can't allow this, this reaction of distancing and cutting each other off and over and under to be the, the, the model for our marriage. Here's what I've experienced in my own life. When you can stay calm, you can stay connected. If that's a decision that you walk away with today, I guarantee your marriage will take a step towards health. Listen, from here on out, we're gonna stay calm because ultimately we wanna stay connected as a couple, right? And so how can we get there? Give me some practical steps, Trent. Let me give you a few steps to do today. The first step is, I would say, identify which one of those patterns is you. Which one of those reactions are you experiencing? Do you do? Are you the cold shoulder? Don't wanna talk about it? I'll show him. I just won't talk to him for a week. <laughs> oh, that's healthy. <laughs> that's gonna build the fire back in your marriage. I'll tell you right now. I'll show him. I won't look at him for a week. Well, bless God. <sighs> what do you wanna do with that? Is that who you wanna be? Identify yourself. Number two, confront yourself. Realize it's sin. Do you realize distancing, the cold shoulder approach, is sin. You realize yelling at your spouse is sinful. You've lost self-control. So you deal with yourself. Are you willing to confess that as sin? To turn from that, repent from that. Step three, you may need to get, get help. So get help. You may need a spiritual leader to come into your life and to talk to both of you, encourage you, give some counsel. You may need a professional counselor. You may need to read a book together. You may need to listen to a podcast together. You may need to start reading the Bible together. You gotta start doing something. It's not just gonna work itself out. Well, when the kids get out of the house, then everything will get better. No, it'll get worse. It'll get worse. Because then you won't have anything bringing you guys together to focus on. It'll just be you two. You've gotta be willing to take these steps. If you want a hot marriage, you have to be willing to walk through the fire together. Right? And so you can get this right. This is the good news. Every single one of you, these are learned behaviors. This is overcoming sin, walking with Jesus. This is how we grow our marriage. It is a fire, man. It is not always easy. But when you do, the amazing thing is when you decide to do this together, God blesses you in incredible ways. For some of you, it's just, it's just this commitment of, look, we're taking divorce off the table. Like forever means forever. We're walking away from today with hope that what we're going through, we can, we can deal with, we can get through. And so we're just gonna stop talking about it. I'm not gonna isolate myself. I'm not gonna cut you off anymore. We're gonna come together and we're gonna work on building this fire back in our marriage. And when you do the hard work, when you walk toward love, when you start enduring and believing and bearing, you will walk through all the adversity and you'll be stronger, deeper, happier, more connected to Christ than ever before. Who wants that, right? I mean, I want that for sure in my life and in my marriage. And I know the truth is you do too. You do too. Some of you might say, well, the bad news for me, Trent, is that I went through the fire, but I didn't walk through it and I got burnt. And now I just kind of look at my life and it's like this pile of ashes. So, wish I would have heard this 10 years ago. Here's the beautiful thing. We serve a God 
who makes beautiful things out of the ashes. And your story's not done. Your love's not over. Your future's not ruined. God is not finished with you either. See, that's the hope of the gospel. Love believes all things, hopes all things. And that hope and that belief is in Christ, not in, not in my effort, it's in Christ. So he's not done. He's got way more in store for every single one of us. And so to that, we can walk out of here with our heads held high, expecting a holy God to transform our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your truth and your hope. Praying for those marriages that are hanging on by a thread this morning, God. May the truth of your word rush into their heart today, softening cold, hard hearts, opening up eyes to the hope that we can experience in you. For those single folks in the room who are kind of on the lookout right now, God, may these truths resonate in their heart today that they wouldn't forget them and they wouldn't run past this as, oh, I don't have to worry about it now, but that somehow, someway, your spirit would just plant that into their hearts, preparing them for future relationships. God, for all of us, we need your love, your grace to help us grow. We never know what we're gonna experience or what we're gonna face. And so, Lord, we are resting upon your truth every single day. So God, we love you. We give you honor and glory. And as we sit and listen to this song, may the truths of this song encourage and inspire us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.